The following podcast is an audio version of a live show that takes place daily on Crowdcast. To join our live audience, visit our Crowdcast website at crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. That's crowdcast.io slash in lieu of fun. Uh, and we're live. It is Monday, September 6th, Labor Day, and also Rosh Hashanah. Happy, do you say happy? Happy, happy sh- New Year, Lashana new- Tova. Oh, okay, so is Shana Tova just like the... It's, it just means good say, good year. But, it, but okay, so but it's kind of redundant if you say happy Shana Tova. Oh, yeah, no, no. It does. Okay, got Shana it. Shana Tova <laughs> is the greeting. It's like... Got it. Uh, it's like I- good year. I always say it terribly wrong. I'm like, Shanatova. And it's like, no, that's, that's what I, I want to say. Yeah. So that's Shana not Tova. wrong. That's just like Yiddish inflected New York Hebrew. Okay. Um, it's Shanatova is f- perfectly fine. Yeah. Okay. I know. I was saying the same thing in the chat um, with Scott and Ben earlier, Genevieve. And oh, so, okay. but anyway, so it's, it's, we're having, because of the holiday and because we, probably couldn't rope someone into getting a guest, but we didn't really try. We just decided to have a low key day. And um, yeah, we're, I think that, oh yeah. And, and cheesecake counts as cheese and, and like cider counts as. And whiskey counts as cheese too. Cheese. Yeah. Um, so the week looks like we've got a couple of people on. Really? Who do we have booked? Um, Dominic Parker and Jay Van Bevel, who, uh, have a new book out, um, and asked to kind of come on the show. Uh, I actually don't know what the name of the book is. I forgot it. Um, but they sent us a nice email and they, and so, uh, yeah, uh, it looked like, it looks like it's going to be a kind of a fun conversation. I'm familiar with Jay's work, but not with Dominic's. And then on Thursday. Well, I just lost audio. I uh, did too. For you, Kate. Oh, I think it was on Kate's end. Kate. Talk? It's saying it's saying you're muted, Kate. That's really weird. Tech glitches are part of the show. It's true. The the crowdcast gods did not want to hear who our guest on on Thursday is going to be. Um, <sighs> I did mute myself. I muted on my own, and my ears, my everything just cut out. That was really strange. Anyway, well, uh, so what's going to happen on Thursday? We'll see if this is a, an omen by whether it happens again when you try to describe um, it. Alexander Brodsky, who does um, a lot of work, is from went to Yale Law School, and we were there at the same time. And she has a lot of work in Title IX, and she is um, the author of a new book uh, that has, um, you know, that is called uh, Public Justice. Uh, no, no, wait, it's called Sexual Justice. Sorry, excuse me. And um, she works at Public Justice, and she is uh, basically uh, did a lot of qualitative research talking to people who were accused in Title IX um, 
interactions and uh, and cases and kind of talking about how it affects them and whether there's due process um, without without trying to kind of have the men's rights balance to all of it um, and to kind of keep that out of it. So I think that it's going to be, um, I haven't read it yet, but um, I knew Alex when we were at Alexandra when we were at school together. So it'll be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. I think that's great. And so uh, tomorrow I am not here for reasons of the holiday. Okay. Um, but I am here uh, Wednesday, uh, Thursday, and Friday. Um, so um, uh, I was thinking of inviting, I want to have a conversation with Tom Nichols about his uh, new book, Um which I will have finished reading by Friday. So I was gonna. I was thinking of inviting yeah. him. Then let me shoot him a note and just see if he's game for that. Um, um, Genevieve, you are have no obligation to do anything for the next week um, because you are uh, uh, are going to be. I think like an. A little on call. (laughs) A little on call, as it were. Um, And uh, but any anyone you want to kind of have on for tomorrow, or you're thinking about Um, anything you want to talk about? There's a lot I want to talk about, but uh, (laughs) the um, I I was actually trying to remember from we had a lot of ideas over a couple of guests that we wanted to come on. I think you wanted to have Alex Stamos on to come talk about Apple. Oh, yeah, the Sam stuff. Yes. We should Uh, ask Alan Rosenstein if he wants to join for that, because he's been following it pretty closely. Yeah, or we could just have Alan on. Like, it's been a while. It would be great to have him on. Um, I was just talking to him the other day. His beard is now longer than your hair. No, it's not. (laughs) I'm I'm sort of joking. Wow, that's exciting. he's, He's very scruffy. Great. Um, I actually so, think I'm going to go back and like make a list because every when we have conversations, particularly on cheese nights, we come up with a lot of really good ideas for guests, and then and then we don't execute because yeah. it's hard or I forget. Yeah. Well, or it's not we forget. It, yeah, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go make a list. I used to write them down too, but I've kind of like I've become less good at that. Um, that I think sounds great. I um I am trying for later in the month to get this woman who is discussing uh, beaver habitats in a National Geographic um, article and how they are like fire resistant. So I'm going to hopefully see if I can get her to come on. I read it and I was like, that is such a cool thing. So I emailed, I'm going to email again. <laughs> we need to bring back our Corvid people too. Yeah, they, um, we, I think that's right. We haven't heard from either Kaylee or uh, Carl in a while and um, you know, in the more Corvid's, less COVID department, um, you know, that would be, that would be useful. The most yeah. Re- oh, go ahead, Kate. Yeah. No, go ahead. I was going to say the most recent Rick and Morty referenced two crows. So I was, I kept thinking about them actually. I was like, oh, cool. I haven't, I'm like behind on. Oh, sorry. The, no, 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 it's fine. I, we were just, but it's funny because we just started rewatching from season one and it's really good. Um. The, uh, I was thinking actually that it's been kind of a while since we've had like naturalist people on in that kind of like bring back the Corvid, COVID, or yeah, no way I got right the first time, Corvid, (laughs) not the COVID, um, 
but I was also kind of thinking that uh, I watched a crazy, really was crazy. It was um, a documentary called Fantastic Fungi that was all about, have you watched it? I have not, but I think fungi are the most amiss. Fungi and slime molds are like yeah, the most amazing. They're pretty cool. I've yeah. been trying to grow just to, to annoy Scott. I've been trying to grow <laughs> um, uh, uh, morel mushrooms. Um, and um, If you are like the one person that can grow morel mushrooms and it's all just to spite Scott Shapiro, like I feel like that would be like Well, yeah, so I'm, I'm working on it. We're going we're gonna to know in, in an initial way in May, um, but then next May as well, because uh, it may take two years. But... You know, what's one thing that's really cool about the morels is you, you, you plant them by distributing the spores, right? And then you feed them by uh, folding compost into the, into the soil that they're in. And the plant, of course, you can't see because it has no roots. It has no, uh, you know, it has it's no... Mycelium. Yeah, it's just this distributed yeah. thing through this... Uh, through this dirt ecosystem uh, and uh, nobody knows, particularly not Scott or David Gullive, what makes them decide, okay, this is a good time to sprout up. But uh, mine are coming up in May and um, I'm excited about it. Yeah, you should go and you should go and watch this. It's really, it was a quite a good, it was quite a good um, documentary. And then it goes in a really interesting direction, which are like kind of goes to the idea of kind of how the largest and oldest organisms in the world are these mushrooms, their connectivity and the way that they talk and kind of connect things to each other within a forest can create like communication networks that look and act very similarly to kind of like an internet type of thing. That's so uh, cool. or, or neurons in a brain, like it's but maybe, all kind of- Maybe we should have like on all gross animals, uh, gross animals week on um sure an underappreciated animal week <laughs> you know spiders snakes uh worms tapeworms yeah especially tapeworms yeah. um tapeworms I mean, are fascinating i know <laughs> less so when you have one i mean i want to want one but like they are fascinating um Hold on, I have something to say about, remind me that I have something to say about parasites in a second. But I was going to finish up with th this thing was that, like, all of a sudden it kind of goes from this very, like, mushrooms are everywhere, fungi is everywhere. This is one of the things that connects the world and ha we has all these uses that we don't know about to, like, a very, like, and then in the 1960s we started experimenting with how it can cure depression and, like, all of these other ways that it can cure things and then we outlawed it because drugs because we outlawed drugs and it's kind of a very it was a it was like a i mean it's obviously it's like it's a total like uh it's just a it's a very different way of like kind of addressing what a mushroom could be to the world and it was like at one second it was like how big and beautiful and just kind of appreciating it and then all of a sudden it was this like but let's actually figure out how to harness them and use them and I was there for both parts and on board, but it was just kind of a strange, it well, was a strange do, flow. Let's do some, some mushroom episodes or fungi episodes. Cause we wouldn't want to leave out the, the important non 
mushroom fungi. So the other thing about parasites that I think is really fascinating. I love parasites. Yeah. As is... long as they're parasiting on somebody I, other than me. I was going to say, I don't know if you love all parasites, Ben. <laughs> Did you know that the, this is just a, a, a really great aside about parasites, that lice uh, infect only humans. The, the, the louse is, there's a, a, a variant, uh, a species that is uh, canine lice, but um, uh, they're, the, the, the louse is adapted purely to live on our scalps. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's, um, I think that that's kind of, well, so that one of those things that is so amazing. So um, there was a researcher called, what is his name is? Richard Sp- um, Spolowski. He's at, he's at Stanford now, I think. He's a medical, uh, he's an MD, PhD, and he does all of this research in parasites. And he did this incredible, um, this incredible study in which he basically showed that toxoplasmiosis, which is like, you've heard of toxo, it's the actual, it's like in the feces of, of cats. And so the reproductive cycle of toxo requires it to go from the, uh, from basically the, the, um, to being ingested by a rat or a mouse to has to then be eaten by a cat and it goes through the gut of a cat and then like gets pooped out in like the last stages and then it starts all over again and basically um one of the things that that's the lifestyle like cycle of toxo and one of the things that he discovered is that basically that in rats and mice that are infected with toxoplasmosis it actually goes to their brains from their gut into their brains and changes their somehow changes their like their composition of their brains to make them not just not like not just like not afraid of cats anymore but to make them catphilic like they have actually completely different like they have like positive like positive reactions to cat urine in the presence of cats rather than and not just cats like to like to other types of things like spaces like they don't run away in open spaces and That's like amazing. they don't run away. and like all of this and so like then he did kind of like he started the implication being for humans that are infected with toxo is that it has similar types of things and so apparently he was doing this presentation at like a at, to a medical like school and an ER doctor stood up and was like, this is insane. I have always, like my, when I was in residency, my my advisor told us to always test for toxo in any type of like high speed vehicle crash, like fatality. Like before we did any type of testing on like the organs or gave the organs away, test to see if there's toxo. And apparently there was like, there's always more of a proclivity for there being toxoplasmosis in people that were infected with it that were high risk seeking behaviors. And so like, anyways, this is kind of this, just this incredible, um, anyways, it's just like, I just, you think about something, you think about free will and then you think about things like that. And you kind of, I just feel it calls a lot of things into question about, you know, how our, how our brains react to things. Um, so I mean, I think we should have gross stuff week on, on and low of fun. Totally. We, we do toxoplasmosis and, 
Yes, uh, Shannon Edry, uh, ringworm is not a worm. That is a misnomer. It is a, um, uh, a, a fungal infection. Um, and um, uh, uh, closely related, I believe, to, um, to the athlete's foot, um, uh, 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 although it presents differently. Um, um, yeah, so uh, I think we should do a, a, a... That's a great idea. Maybe we don't super... have to do it for a whole... Well, I don't know. We can either organize we it all in one like... week or like just start bringing stuff in. Yeah, it's like a special mini series on you. Um, uh, I love that idea. Yeah, me too. Um, I want to do. I want to do an episode on slime molds. I think they're the best. I don't know anything about slime molds. Slime molds can solve mazes. Oh, um, really? Yeah, they're they're amazing. Um. Uh, and uh, they're they're um. They're super interesting. Um, uh, I've yeah. seen an orange one, I think, if I remember uh, yeah. correctly. Slime molds, yeah. slime molds are great, um, but they do have the word slime and molds in their name. So, um, bad branding. Um, <laughs> yeah, bad branding. All right, let's, uh, should we bring in audience members? See what sure. people want to, so if you have gross stuff or good gross stories, this is a good time for them. It could be in um, anything but viruses week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Well, viruses are not usually gross. They're oh, too actually, small to be gross. I don't know. The ones that cause like... That, They're well, just gross in their effects. Or... Yeah, yeah. But the, but the, the organism themselves is pretty yeah. ordinary. Yeah. Um, Richard, or sorry, Richard, I'm going to bring you on. And then, um, but uh, uh, Daniel asks... Uh, 161,327 new COVID cases on September 5th, according to the New York Times. What do you think the chances are that the U.S. never reaches herd immunity? Happy Labor Day. Thanks, Daniel. <laughs> um, um, I have a, uh, an answer to this question, which is I actually think we're, we're pretty close to peak Delta right now. Uh, the numbers have been leveling off nationally for the last week or so. Um, and um, I think we're going to start seeing. So one of the things about Delta is that it's it's so contagious that if you're not vaccinated, you're getting infected with it relatively quickly. And so I think the, uh, you know, the the virus is going to run out of people to infect between the vi between the vaccinations and just the number of people who've been relatively recently infected. And so I think you're going to start seeing a significant ebb of Delta over the next few weeks. I say this as a, of course, a trained at, uh, 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 um, you know, statistician and, and uh, you know, uh, infectious disease specialist. Um, but, um, you know, it, it actually doesn't happen that uh, these wildly infectious diseases remain so because we do actually build up uh, significant immunity among people who uh, are unvaccinated. That's and, and the tendency in all of these viruses is toward greater contagiousness and less lethality over time, because that's the 
Um, that's the life maximizing point for the virus. Um, so I think the likelihood that we don't obtain something like herd immunity, at least to a manageable level, is pretty low. The question is how many people have to die along the way, and that's purely a function of, of vaccination rates. And also assuming that it doesn't mutate again to something that the vaccine is less effective against, yeah. which, which, is right. the, which is the race that scares me. <laughs> Um, can we Anne, talk about and raises a and Kornhauser raises a uh, very important uh, category of exceptions, uh, which is um, malaria and other uh, diseases that are um, uh, uh, endemic over long periods of time, and you know there are exceptions. Uh, they tend to be. Uh, exceptions in uh, they, they they tend to involve uh, 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 infectious agents that you can get more than once, um, uh, and um, I do think the uh, likelihood that we're going to see that with COVID is uh, you know it's not that you can't get it more than once, but the uh, when you when you fight it off, you uh, you acquire immunity for a certain period of time, and so the question is how immune is the broader population over any given period of time? And I do think we're going to see between the between the prevalence of the virus itself and the uh, and the rate of vaccination, which is something in the fifty five percent rate among adults anyway, is, uh, you know, going to create a habitat problem for the virus. Can we talk about something that I'm really amazed there isn't more conversation about in the news and other, where, which is just how it was that India's uh, cases were, were just going through the roof and then they just cratered, like, and the same, like Israel, is like has ha been having like the same kind of like looks like they're going up and up and then they just stop like and there's and, and the uk and the uk and there's no consistency in the types of vaccines that they're using or if they have vaccines at all and i'm just kind of like i'm not saying that's not a reason not get vaccinated please don't misconstrue that in any way but like like why did it stop in india like i, I just like we've we just like don't know and there's no, there's just like literally no one knows. And that's just, I, I th that's some of the stuff that I'm a little shocked that we're not spending more time talking about. And I don't know if it's because if you dig into the, into the answers, they, people think that there might be some type of public like information that would like be bad for the, like the campaign to vaccinate more people in the US or whatever else. Um, or what, but I just, it's just baffling to me. Yeah, it's, it is just baffling actually. And I, I, you know, it gets well beyond my non-competence to talk about. So I'm not going to try, but I, I, I do think the, the, the numbers that we've seen that Daniel cites where, you know, we went quite rapidly up to about 150,000 new cases per day. And then 
between 150 and 160, 165, it's been kind of very slow. I think the last 14 days have had an 8% increase, whereas before it was a, you know, it was a 150% increase, right? I mean, the, the increase was very rapid and has slowed a lot. So I do think we're reaching, if it's not the peak of Delta, it's a peak of Delta. And certainly we're seeing decrease in some of the Southern states that are start, we're starting to drive it. Um, so I, I think there's reason to be optimistic uh, unless, of course, you're unvaccinated, because if you're unvaccinated and you haven't gotten it yet, you're the virus's target. Um, and so you should understand there's a big red target painted on your back and there are fewer and fewer people with targets on them. So Delta is coming for you. I mean, to Devin Nunes' lawyer's question, or someone said something about the reporting of things in COVID. I thought that I heard, did you hear that they are like finding out that it's like four times the number of people that died of COVID than like they initially reported? Like We, we should assume that these numbers are all wildly underreported. They're probably underreported in this country too. Mm -hmm. And the weaker a country's healthcare infrastructure is, the more the underreporting coefficient is going to be. And that's before you get to questions like, uh, is the Chinese Communist Party intentionally underreporting numbers, which I'm quite confident that they were. So I, I do think you should assume that those numbers that, you know, really stand for something big and round, like a whole lot. Um, rather than for anything precise. Yeah, no, I think that that's right. It just kind of like really, um, I don't know. Like I just, I want, I just don't know why. So it's interesting as we're talking is like, we're kind of coming up on 20 years, obviously with September 11th and like everyone has like their, well, most people have where they were or they're, if they weren't around or don't remember, they have that too. But basically like the hit we have watched Ben and you've been a part of, we've both been a part, like the, the shaping of what the story and the narrative is, the historiography of September 11th. And of course we all, so, so too are we all part of that with the, like the pandemic. And so it just kind of, I think that like, having these two markers in my life personally, like September 11th and the pandemic as like two very kind of like moments where you measure things from those points. I guess like for me that it's kind of like, even in the last year, you've seen this kind of evolution of common knowledge or accepted knowledge or the story of what is happening with the virus and how it's working and how it's taking shape and what's gone wrong and who has screwed up and like what governments have fucked up and what haven't and like all of the things. And I just feel like it's unlike maybe with September 11th, this is just going to be this such a long story. Like the, it's going to have such a long tail. Like it's going to have such a long tail of like what happened. And it's going to be so incredibly diverse the stories because every government reacted so differently because the virus wasn't the same in every place because people had different access to different things and so i don't know that's kind of just a little bit what i've been thinking i i don't know that's kind of it's weird that it's weird that 9 11 is reminding me of like the moment that we're in now 
but that's I think kind it, of a, I think yeah. it makes perfect sense, particularly because of the contrast and how America as a unit re reacted, because we had an exterior foe. There was a lot of like patriotic discussion. There was a lot of like coming together as a country to fight this exterior person who was a threat. And because it was a person, it, or an, an, an entity that was like a human entity, I felt like that was just so much more unifying. And now, oddly, it's not a human, it's a virus that we could unify against, but for political purposes, we've been just so fractured. And maybe, yeah. maybe that's oversimplifying, but. How well do you remember, Genevieve, the atmosphere around 9-11? Very vividly. Um, I, it happened the first, my first week of high school. I mean, I think it is interesting how, how relatively divisive COVID is relative to 9-11. And I wonder if the reason for that is that we're a much more divided society now. Um, or whether the reason for that is that they were the, so, like it was like just normal people going about their day like i think that right like i mean is, isn't that kind of like the reason do you also think that it was because there was an end because it was it was a day and there was an end and now we have no like day or end and it's it's ongoing so the fatigue might be different i mean i huh. don't know I also think there's an aspect of it that's a that's there was an enemy mm -hmm. um, and you know the the virus is a shitty enemy yeah um, because it's it's non-corporeal you can't bomb it um, you actually can't even hate it um, it doesn't it doesn't have enough personality to be angry at. That's so interesting. It's such, such a good point. Do you think that that's why that the pandemic has become so politicized? Because everyone couldn't aim their politicization at another group? So or imagine, like imagine for a minute that the virus was a person. Let's call it Osama bin Laden, right? we would direct all of our anger and fear at the person and we would feel camaraderie in our anger at, at the person and our fury and our desire to get the person and but we don't have that we have you know the virus is for all intents and purposes an inanimate object um, you can be angry at it, but what good does that do you? Um, you can't get revenge on it. Even if you kill it, it's not satisfying in the way, in, a, in any kind of retributive sense. And so we argue instead about what to, what, how the right way to handle it, which is in, in fact deflecting that anger and intensity of feeling onto each other. And particularly with people who don't agree with how to handle it. And I would say 
that's also something that's causing a lot of ethical questions to be raised. And there's a lot of articles coming about out about uh, medical practitioners and compassion fatigue. And if you haven't taken steps, do you deserve the same level of care, which is directly opposed to the Hippocratic Oath? But these questions, I don't think we would have those circulating as broadly if we weren't putting the the angst, the virus angst against the individuals who are not taking the steps that we think or know, probably know, would mitigate it. Ben, you're, oh, you're, I unmuted you. You're fine. Uh, I think that's right. I think we, um, you know, the virus is a very unsatisfying enemy. And we want, you know, if you think about monster stories, which are kind of about this, right? We tend to invest the monster with a, you know, a human-like cognition, right? Dracula um, is human in, not in capabilities or in desires, but in, in his personality um, and I think we do that so that we can hate him because if it's just, you know, a, if it's purely inanimate, it's actually much harder to, uh, to gear up the emotional energy to oppose. Yeah. I mean, all of, I mean, I think that also just you had left and right trying to um, come together over like 9-11. And you kind of had that here, but not really. Like, I don't think like particularly. And in fact, and I just, I, I don't know. I think that I think that you're completely right. We have, I've just realized that Richard has been sitting there for like 10 minutes. Sorry, Richard. Hi. Hello. You're, you're nice doing your you. backlit Daniel impersonation. Well, I was actually trying to get more light, but uh, <laughs> alas. Um, let's see. Uh, now that doesn't work. Okay. I'm doing backlit Daniel today. Hello. Happy Hi. Labor Day, everybody. Thanks. Um, you too. I have a really burning question about this time of year. Um, you know, it's it's Labor Day, and that means you know we're supposed to put all this summer stuff behind us. And uh, I have like I've done something that I haven't done in a long time. I've gone the entire summer without eating gazpacho, and I love gazpacho, and I make gazpacho, and yet I haven't done it all summer. And Why not? Yeah. Are, are, are you my mother? <laughs> no, I'm just curious. You like yes. you like yes. it. You like making it. Yeah. Um, uh, and it bothers you that you haven't had it. Why? I, I don't uh, know. This requires an explanation. Well, I, you know, I, I, I never planned to make it. I guess I just thought, oh, well, there's enough summer left. I can make it later, and so I, I procrastinated. It's not too late. And, it's tomato season and well, pepper season. Well, see, here's the problem, though. You're not supposed to eat it after Labor Day. And what, and what is that? Like, what is it like white? wearing white? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so now I'm like, 
I, uh, I'm like, oh no, what's going to happen to me if I eat gazpacho like tomorrow? Cereal mom gonna, will come and get you. I think you can undo it by doing yeah. it while wearing white. I, I, yeah. oh, oh, okay. Or, or see your white linen suit. Yeah. Uh, so th these are the things that, you know, nobody would even see me eating gazpacho. <laughs> You don't have to shame yeah, eat it, Richard. I, you can I, eat it proudly. <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, I'm just like, I'd be throwing the cosmos into disarray if I, I were I, to, wait, to I, I want to return to first principles here. Where <laughs> is the rule from that you can't eat gazpacho after Labor Day? John has a joke about me oh. always wanting when it's hot out gazpacho and then always settling for a Bloody Mary because we walk around for like 20 minutes trying to find a place that has gazpacho and they never have any. And so I'm just like, fine, I'll just have a Bloody Mary. Maybe that's just what I wanted anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but where, where does this rule come from? Is it, I, isn't it, I, is it in the Pentateuch? It, I, not that I know. <laughs> um, yeah, I... I I, I, you know, it goes along with all of those, all those rituals about what you can wear and can't wear after Labor Day. You know, you know you're you're not supposed to wear a white dinner jacket after Labor Day. See your sucker, all these sorts of things. I probably, have a probably comes I, have a I wear a dog shirt every day, um, so clearly I'm not somebody who is, uh, you know, a, a, a slave to the etiquette rules, but I. I hereby absolve you of of oh. the sin of of uh, non seasonal gazpacho eating. Oh. Um, I think you are you are like I, I you know I can issue indulgences I suppose. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm actually finding oh this is so funny I'm finding all of these Labor Day gazpacho recipes. Oh, yeah? I think that you can yeah I think that you can I think you're fine. I mean I, just. We're we're not going to judge you, Richard. I, I, or I don't tell have anyone. to warm it. I don't have to warm no. it. No, no, no. I think I think then you're just state. eating sauce. Yes. You yes. hereby <laughs> have a, uh, uh, a a year long dispensation, uh, and I see uh. Uh, uh, the very Reverend uh, Hillary Livingston uh, uh, seconds my dispensation, oh, okay. and she's actually qualified to issue one. <laughs> she is so, indeed. Um, uh, so I. I declare that you have uh, until next summer when a, of course the wrath of God will be upon your head uh, if you don't eat gazpacho in season um, uh, you have a dispensation to uh, eat gazpacho uh, out of season okay well I better I, I better fill up between now and next Labor Day Richard I have one question for you that's actually from Jeremy, he asks it and the thing, but I don't know how to, um, I haven't, I don't have experience to answer this, but I figured you might. Um, have you been to a theater at all recently? And what is the experience like compared to before COVID? And I wonder if you have been to see any, the theater to see any music. I have not. I am, I am still very, I'm, I'm reluctant to do anything with, um, you know, in a in a crowded, closed, enclosed space, and uh, and so I, you know, I'm still going to wait on that. I have a tip. Yes. So Richard, you should look for. Um, I don't know if they have them in Philly, but they definitely have them in New York. They're doing these like candlelight music nights, and so yeah, would yeah, it, yes. 
And so they have them extremely socially distanced. You have to prove vaccination before everyone's masked. And it's been, we got to go to one um, a couple weeks ago and it was fantastic. Um, so check yeah, out the, the candlelight music. Yeah, yeah, that would be a possible option, but no pressure. Yeah. Just a, maybe a toe in the pool. Do they, do they serve gazpacho? <laughs> uh, you, I think you can bring your own. Oh, okay, I don't know. Okay. You'll have to check the rules. I think having, you know, in this era of food truck cultures, I think we should have a gazpacho truck. A cold soup truck. Yeah, that just goes around and serves various gazpachos in in uh, cups that you. I love cucumber dill and yogurt soup. It is so good with like a little bit of sherry vinegar. I like watermelon gazpacho too. Oh. So last summer, I made, I made, I was making a, a lot of cold soups last year, last summer, and I would come in after a hot day, you know, after being outside when it was hot, and I just was, I was drinking this stuff as if it were Gatorade or something. <laughs> it was great. It was so refreshing. And, yeah. Um, you know, one of the best things you could drink. Totally. Okay. Good seeing you, Richard. Good to see Hi, you. Bye bye. Enjoy your soup. I think we need more questions at that high level of uh, sophistication and peculiarity, um, <laughs> especially ones that require uh, quasi-religious dispensations from us. Um, I I agree. Uh, so, Ben, have you been to the theater, though? I have not. I have been to two uh, large-ish events, um, both of which were outdoors, however. Um, uh, and I have not been to anything inside um, uh, at all, like with with more people than can fit in a small restaurant with appropriate social distancing. Hello, Paula. Hi, Paula. How was your first week of school? I think it was great. I've had plenty of fun. Did you, um, did you pour more stuff on yourself? No. Um, I like had my first assignment and I'm pretty sure I double checked my name about 10 times to see like that I didn't misspell it. So it was like that worried. Like, that doesn't seem my- like the word on the assignment you'd be most likely to misspell. Yeah. You want me to tell you how my freshman year in college, I took a class, English class with the dean of the college and wrote my first paper and misspelled Forrester of E.M. Forrester throughout the entire paper. <laughs> So, I got a B minus, which is actually, I think, fairly okay, considering the fact that I had such an egregious error at the beginning of my of my thing. So, you're fine. I just think that I tend to do that thing where it's like, do you ever like use your calculator to calculate like really like stupid stuff like 10 plus 5 just to make sure that you're not like totally like just like off and like sometimes I'm like, I just want to make sure I'm not misspelling my name. I once put uh, back when I was a young reporter at Legal Times, I wrote a story about something Janet Reno did when she was attorney general. And I went home having put the paper to bed with a panic attack that Janet Reno didn't exist. Um, And um, You told me that story before. It made me feel much better. It was um, completely pathological. And I was sure that it was going to be what Ann Kornhauser's friend Kate Boo used to call the career-ending mistake, which was 
is the mistake that, you know, was totally avoidable, that's going to wreck you and finish you off. And I was convinced by the time I got home, I was like dripping with sweat um, and uh, convinced that uh, I had made uh, the career ending mistake because Janet Reno did not, in fact, exist. Um, and uh, turns out the story ran and Janet Reno did exist and really was attorney general and really did the thing that I said she did. Uh, and I did not end my career. Um, and, you know, there it is. I do think this came up in an episode where you and Scott, I think, like improvised and had a like anxiety dream episode where people shared their like anxieties or nightmares that they have. Because I do recall you maybe saying that one. Maybe. I, th I think it came up, too, because I think we talked about, well, maybe. I just I feel like we talked about like all of the anxiety that goes into something being published. And... Yeah, I think that, that was maybe it was when Bet maybe it was when Scott finished his book. Maybe that's what we were talking about. Maybe that was it, I think, or something. Yep. Uh uh Paula. My first um, question or second question? Well Do them both. Yeah, do them both. Go for okay. it. Okay. So um I'll start with the lighthearted one. What are your favorite like background noise things to have when you work like TV shows to like YouTube videos to artists? I feel like like that's like 90% of like how I get my work done. And I feel like it's like kind of a cool part of people's personalities to know what interesting things they have in the background on. Well, what kind of work are you talking about? Like reading and writing? Or are you talking about like chores? Or no, cooking, like, or like your most intense like work thoughts, like you're writing oh. a really important paper. I am going to go first and say no noise at all. Oh absolute like i just i can't even have background noise it's distracting i yeah like people coughing in a library like actually i will like throw something at them um but i can't work in a library because actually also i am too uncomfortable and <laughs> like and feel like if i want water or like want to get warmer or like want some food I, or have to go to the bathroom. I just like hate being, I hate it. So like, I just, my entire, when I'm really working on something for like many days, like my entire workspace, just like, it's like papers everywhere, like some type of crazy person. And I like, I just go into a complete zone. Does this like, include like the background noise that you could hear from like your AC or something like that too? I don't love it. Okay. I actually love that noise, but I know some people that hate that noise. No, I like that noise. I like it's there are certain types of weird droning noises I like. The heater clicking on in the winter, like the like the air conditioner kicking on in the summer, like someone showering in the room next door or like in the bathroom next door or something. I love like that noise. Um that's but I can't but no, that's not I just just like total silence. That is the total opposite of me when I am doing physical things like cooking or whatever else. In those situations, I watch, I serially have like tons of TV on or podcasts or music. So we GDF? can talk about that. Yeah. What about you, Judia? Um, I'm pretty similar. I would say the one thing that I do require, but don't have anything coming through is I need to have headphones in just easy, even as like a signaling thing for people to not talk to me. Mm. Um, so that's like, if, if I'm think if I have, if I have to be thinking or doing anything analytical, 
it's no noise. And if I'm doing research, it's maybe like classical music or not, no words. It can't be words because I will start writing the words for like in my notes, which is not great. Um, but that's my backgrounds. I trained myself when I had small children to be able to write under any circumstances anywhere. Um, and uh, that was a very deliberate thing because I had to write every day. You know, I was writing editorials for the Post at the time, and I just didn't have the luxury of requiring any specific conditions. Uh, and so I taught myself to uh, to write um, with whatever background conditions there were. I do not intentionally distract myself with music or other uh, sound, but I don't, but you know, you could put me in Grand Central Station and with a laptop and I would do just fine. Um, uh, but I don't intentionally listen to other stuff. I think my preferred writing environment is a coffee shop with a certain level of ambient background noise, but not stuff that I will particularly focus on. Um, when I am doing work that doesn't require my mental attention or require, you know, doesn't require my vocabulary, my, my, uh, my writing mind, uh, I tend to listen to podcasts uh, and I tend to do that, you know, when I'm doing the dishes or, or uh, you know, cleaning something, which I do rarely, or working outside or something. Um, but when I'm writing, I generally don't listen to anything actively, but I, I really try to avoid, uh, I try to like avoid needing a particular set of environmental conditions because though I could create them now, I couldn't for many years. I think I'm going to have to up my training. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my second question is, and obviously this is partly because, I mean, I was born um, before 9-11, but I obviously wasn't like fully caught. I mean, I was like a year old. Um, and so I was wondering, like, what do you think would have happened if 9-11 had occurred when there was social media? Because I just thinking about it, I could be totally wrong and it could have like it could be capped out on the most traumatizing thing ever. But I feel like thinking about like, for example, the like slow drip, like not even comparable, but like the slow drip of news that happens on Twitter when something happens, like breaking news which like keeps you on your phone dead scrolling. Like if that would have happened on that day with people able to like capture what's happening live, seems to me like it would have been like taken to like, if possible and even exponentially more traumatic event, just because of the way that you would have gotten a slow drip of news rather than cable news having to gather everything and then give it to you in a lump afterwards. I think that there would have been so, like there were a couple of videos that circulated and they all circulated via the cable news channels and they would have circulated via user generated content platforms if people had had the capability of really taking video 
on their phones the way they have now and uploading it that just didn't or exist. Or even just text on their phones. Yeah. You know, if, if you imagine that half of those people on those flights had been on Twitter, which I think would have happened, right? Yeah. Not, not to mention hundreds of people in uh, everybody who was evacuating the two buildings would have been live tweeting it. Uh, or at least one in every five or ten of them would. And wow. a bunch of the people who were trapped in the upper floors, um, uh, I don't know if you guys remember the the falling man video. Of course. It's one um, of the most, it's, it's moving and like there's an incredible uh, Esquire story about it. Yeah, I mean, you know, in a modern context, that person may well have had the option of tweeting before he jumped. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think the whole thing would have been, I mean, it was super immediate and uh, I mean, impossibly painful to watch as it was, but, uh, we didn't really hear from the people on the planes or the people. Uh, I mean, some of them we got. There used to be audio. phones on the back of the headsets that you could use with your credit card. And some people used those to call people. I think, I think that's how they called people was like using those or they had cell phones. Yeah. There was some, uh, th there was some audio of phones that got released later. Um, yeah. but I think it would have been, uh, much more, you would have felt much more present um, than you do than we did, and that would have made it much worse. There was, um, there was also a lot of misinformation that day, from my perspective, because um, we were oh, pretty. Yes. So we they tried to isolate us immediately because we had a lot of students whose parents worked downtown. And so um, they had you, if your parents were working downtown, they told you to go to specific areas and they were trying to figure out who would be directly affected, who was safe, and they didn't have that information. They locked us out of the computer lab so we wouldn't have um, access to the news. And they, there were just stories circulating that the Brooklyn Bridge had been bombed. There were stories circulating that were just something bad had happened, but you didn't know what it was. So and then they addressed it, but the way they addressed it was very dry. Um, a couple of my friends who did lose parents that day had been taken out of the school early and they didn't tell the rest of the student body until later because they were really only concerned if, um, which understanding, like they're never gonna be able to capture everybody's losses, but they were just primarily concerned if you had a parent who was at risk that day. Um, and so it was just, a lot of confusion. I can't imagine trying to control that information now. You'd never right. be able to. Right. No. I mean, and I don't understand. I mean, you would think we have content moderate. I mean, you get like a tiny, tiny sliver of the fear and kind of craziness of it. Like a tiny one, like watching what happened on 1-6 live I think with like cell phone videos coming out. Um, Kind of point, like you made that tweet today about content moderators. Like, I can't um, imagine like the chaos. Like, 
I remember one time like flying back from somewhere and afterwards was, was it, you know, there were stories about plane crashes after I got back off a plane. And I told my dad, like, if I had seen or heard about that plane crash before I got on the plane, I probably wouldn't have gotten on the plane. And I just can't imagine, like, to your point, like, like the, how quickly like information circulates. I know, like, for example, if you're on a plane, like, I think I'm correct, like some information doesn't come in through their TVs, like they censor certain types of information. Um, I, but like, I just can't imagine like, like how chaotic things would have been actually like i mean physically like not just on the internet like i mean like from things like like things shutting down literally things shut gone. down things did shut down on 9-11 right down, I, not I, just I, in new york they like my had before like i know i have older siblings who said like we didn't go to school like school was like done for the day like everyone went home and we I went don't, I don't and watched we we yeah. went from room to room and watched like the te like all of our teachers had just like the TV on and we just watched the news and walked from room to room and you could just leave if you I don't think my generation has ever experienced that before like things were like everyone's gonna stop right now and like nothing's like nothing I don't think we've experienced anything like it before any after. other time either <laughs> yeah um you know so I was in the Washington Post newsroom that day. Oh, my day, God. And um, it was when I left that evening, uh, all of Washington was entirely gridlocked. Um, and I had to walk home um, because there was no there was no transportation. The metro was shut down. The... Um, uh, and the streets were completely gridlocked. And so I walked, it was several miles, and I walked home, and the entire way was uh, gridlocked traffic and nobody honked. I mean, it was... That's so eerie. It was so it was eerie. So... And the next day when I came to work, uh, there were guys, uh, you know, with machine guns on every street corner uh, in in downtown. You know, it was... Um, there were uh, flags everywhere. Do you remember that? Like everyone put out a flag. Like there was just flags everywhere. Like it just like there was there was just it was like it was. I was living in the suburbs, and like there were people just would like line their entire lawn with flags on every major, and it was just. I don't know. That was just like it, and I I remember it. Also, just being so quiet. I think Ben's exactly right. Yeah, it was. Um, uh, it was people, everybody was, I mean, there was some sense in which it was uh, quite lovely, you know, everybody was helping each other. Uh, I've never seen yeah. this town kind of more, I wouldn't say united, but because it wasn't, there wasn't anything political about it yet. Mm -hmm. It was just people helping people. Um, but um, look, when the towers came down, <laughs> um, you know, we thought 40 or 50,000 people had been killed. People forget this, but 50,000 people worked in those towers and we had no idea how many of them had gotten out. And so the 
estimated number of people killed started like astronomically high and then lowered and lowered and lowered and lowered. And so I remember when it got below 3000, I was like so relieved. Yeah. You know, and now we hear, you know, 3000 people or 2900 people were killed. How awful. But, you know, I remember a, a weird feeling of relief when we crossed below 10,000 and 5,000, right? Um, and, you know, it was like, you know, a, a lot of people got out and a lot of, you know, the people forget how many of the firefighters who died, died when the buildings collapsed because they were getting people out. Yeah. And um, that was actually a remarkably successful operation, you know, which was done completely without planning. And and um, and, you know, so it's a it's it, it would have been unspeakably more awful had there been live social media of it. I and, think it's a great. I, sorry, go ahead, Genevieve. No, no, you, you, you first, Kate. I can, I can wait. Oh no, I was going to wrap. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that one of the things that also going back to our other conversation a little earlier about rallying points that I think was pretty hand, handled okay, and it got a little bad, but John Stewart's done a really good job of keeping it, it, it present of mind. Was a lot of the firefighters who got very, very sick because of the different yeah. things that they inhaled that day. He's been really advocating for them and even still continues to advocate for them. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of one of those things that if you hear about it, most people's reactions are still, oh, yeah, we should do the right thing because that happened. It's not like, oh, well. Oh, it's unbelievable that yeah. some of those people can't get reasonable care and, yeah. 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 you yeah. know, that that it requires advocacy. Yeah. It's just um, crazy. We got to wrap because you have to go, Ben. And, Indeed. Um, and, um, but Paula, I think that's a great question. And you kind of actually um, just food for thought, guys. And maybe we should talk about it on the chat, but the idea of like doing a, uh, like a kind of a, a day of remembrance on Friday and maybe having people come in and share their stories and kind of create if they want to and talk about where they were. We'll just maybe, I don't know. It's something to just think about. We can talk about it whether, I mean, I also don't kind of, you know, it's a very, it's a very hard day. It's a very real day. I don't know, for me and for a lot of the people I know that lost people. And so I just like, it's a, it's something that we can talk about, but thank you for bringing it up, Paul. I think it's a really great question and I hadn't thought about it in that way before. So thanks as always. Um, we will be back tomorrow with, we don't know who, uh, in and do 22 hours and 56 minutes now and until then ben happy new year and we don't have fun anymore but we do have um uh uh lunar new year cycles that do not have anything to do with the solar new year uh from various uh religious non-majority religious groups in the united states i really you know because just in case one of them poops out then we've got the other one back. You know, you you got the, <laughs> you got your Jewish calendar, you got your Islamic calendar, which you know they handle the difference with the sun 
differently. You know, your Islamic calendar actually doesn't correct for it. Your Jewish calendar has a leap month every four years to fix the problem. Different, different approaches there. But the point is, you get your Ramadan, you get your Rosh Hashanah, and you can't predict based on the solar calendar when they're going to show up. Yeah. Keeping Happy it New Year.